Welcome to the Rip Hard Podcast by guitarists for guitarists. And now your hosts, John Brown and A.L. Levy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We've been running conversations with some of the best guitar players in the game for over a year now. Not only has this been amazing for myself and A.L. to learn from, but it's been amazing for us to share this vast knowledge with all of you. If you enjoy what we're doing, then please share us with your friends, and we especially love iTunes reviews. Remember that you can tag us if you want to share the podcast on your Instagram. You can find me at Brown Monuments. That's B-R-O-W-N-E-M-O-N-U-M-E-N-T-S. And you can find Al at Al Levy URM Audio. That's E-Y-A-L-L-E-V-I-U-R-M-A-U-D-I-O. Always remember that we will never charge you for this podcast. So please keep listening and enjoying. All we ask in return is a share, post, and a tag. Anyway, let's get on to this week's guest. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast. Our guest today is Stevie D, who is a guitar player and songwriter for the band Buckcherry. He joined in 2005, and you can hear his guitar work and songwriting on seven of their studio albums, including the most recent Hellbound that's being released on June 25th, 2021. They've got Billboard Top 100s, Grammy Nods, tons of music videos. This band has seen the top of the mountain on several occasions. I introduce you, Stevie D. Welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, mate. Where Where are we in the world? He's in England. I'm in Atlanta. Oh, okay. Well, you're in LA, right? I'm in LA. We're all speaking in real time with seemingly no delay. Technology is <laughs> an amazing thing. Yeah, it's not like the news where there, you know, somebody asks a question and <laughs> and and there's like this. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like kind of a pause. That's actually why we do the clap at the beginning, because there's a little bit of that. There's a little bit of the delay, not quite like on the news where it's like sometimes like a second or two. There's always like a tiny bit, which we we then edit that so that it doesn't sound like there's any at all. You just kind of slide the whole... Just a little, yeah. It's like a guitar take. <laughs> right, right, right. Or a drum take, God forbid. Just like that. So are you getting back to normal? How do you mean? No, it feels <laughs> like I am, you know? It's been so long that I'd, I'm, I'm not sure wh- what normal was, if that makes any sense. But on all accounts, I've been vaccinated. I've, I've tried to create a world here with my son that isn't too crazy weird uh, from the quarantine. We had a, a, a group of friends that uh, we kept small and uh, we would we would all interact. But as far as I know, this is this is normal now. You know what I mean? <laughs> Are you dreading getting back to touring just because I know that you guys tour like mad? Yeah. That's got to be a shock to the system getting back to that. At the level you guys do it at. Yeah, we have been playing every couple months to those rebel crowds that didn't want to <laughs> listen to uh, <laughs> the CDC. <laughs> I'm not dreading it for the reasons of like, be, you know, like maybe getting sick or, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm just more concerned about there was a, a rhythm to life um, here with my family. And then now I'm just going to split. And then it's gonna. I'm not gonna be around. You know, I mean that. That's that's my main concern. It's it's not about bringing the music to the people or possibly being exposed to anything. You know, has it been nice to be home for this amount of time? Obviously, you know, from touring, doing something a little bit different, maybe. Yeah, it was this. I mean, that was the the obvious silver lining. In 2019, I was gone all the time, and it's no secret. In previous years, we were gone for months at a time. So, you know, in 2019, I, I remember being in Europe somewhere and saying, you know, I really wish I was home with my boy and, um, and careful what you wish for. I got to be with him <laughs> for a year and a half every effing day. So <laughs> I'm really excited about getting back to work, doing what I love. There's good, you know, and not so good with everything. 
going on now. I wonder if bands who are like road dog bands, the 200, 250 day a year type bands who have now been home for this amount of time, say that there are enough tours, like just say that it could just go right back to how it was. Do you think a lot of those bands are going to want to go back to 200 or 250 days a year? Yeah, I, I would imagine a, a, a lot. That's what they know and that's what they love. And I think band, there's a lot of bands if they don't have families and, you know, that's they're just road dogs and, and, and can go out and do that. I think the, the, the tough thing about doing that is burning out the market. You know, you can tour your A markets, B markets, even C markets. And even when you do that, the people will start saying, because this happened to us, where people are saying, well, you know, I saw them last month. You know, uh, I'll I'll go see them a couple months from now. So, you know, I I have run into uh, a friend that uh, is a touring guy, and he he got to be home with his family for 2020. And, you know, he said to me, honestly, it's about money, but, you know, like, I don't care to to go out and do that grueling schedule. But I think there's going to be plenty of people that do want to do go back to that and maybe are not. So, you know, they found being home a good thing. That's what I'm noticing through talking to a bunch of people on these podcasts is uh seems to be kind of split down the middle there's some people who are like fuck yeah ready to do it let's go yeah right back to how it was and there's a lot of people i'm talking to who are like well i do want to go back but maybe not as much as before that intense tour schedule is is really for i guess the single people with no kids in their early 20s i remember doing that early on and it didn't really it was just it was fun Uh, I had nothing anchoring me at home you know the umbilical cord was was severed and I was just out there and and just loving it you know it there was songs on the radio fueling the the tour the tour was fueling radio and we could we could just be out there months at a time. And if you're out there months at a time, that means money's coming in. So I was buying guitars and, and watches and just stuff. And, you know, it was it was, you know, it was a, a young musician's dream, you know. So, you know, now my environment, my, you know, the playing field is a little different. Not better or worse, but it's just different. And my priorities are different. Being away means something else. It's interesting, though. You've managed to transition it from, you know, young man's dream of just like crazy rock band that's doing great on the radio to a career band. Did you have to change the way you approached it at all or did it just kind of naturally morph into that? It was a conscious decision to build a, a, a great touring business. You know what I mean? It's 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 uh, it's kind of what you're after when you're coming up and you want to get signed and you want to have hits. And then part of that whole dream is is uh, at least for me, what I knew about what I thought what success was was uh, what I saw on MTV. So all those all those groups were touring and there was madness and, and, and all that. But yeah, like I said, it, it changes al- along the way. And there's kind of an indicator, like there's been other members in the band, you know, we were all young and, and crazy and wanted, you know, all locked arms running to that same goal of what our idea of success was and touring is part of that. And then we get older, have families and some of us don't want to be on the road anymore. How do you deal with that situation when the, uh, the end goal isn't the same anymore? It's like relationships, you know, when you, when people grow in different directions, you know, in this case, it was really their decision to stay or leave. And we've lost a few members, unfortunately. We also kind of change the way we do it. 
So instead of staying, or let's say it being so intense, such an intense schedule, and physically, we, we it's a little different now too. Like we'll play one day on, one day off, two days on, one day off. Uh, sometimes it's three days on, one day off. If we're out there for a couple weeks, then we allot ourselves a quick trip home to keep the home fires burning, reconnect, hit the reset button, and then get back out. You know what I mean? So that's how we kind of change things for us to make it more manageable. I think that when you're in your early 20s and there's nothing tying you down, you can just go for 90 days or whatever. But that's not sustainable at all. If you want to do it long term in a band, you have to figure out a way to keep it survivable and also something that won't wreck your personal life either. Yeah, I I, I think... Um Thinking about when you get older, you start thinking about why do I do this, you know, and uh, and in like in the middle of 2020, we were faced with, um, hey, do you guys want to come do a show? And you're like, well, you know, why do I why am I doing the why am I putting, you know, like possibly uh, putting our lives on the line or me bringing back something that could jeopardize uh, the health of my family. A little more rearranging as you get older is key. How did that decision come to be? Like, how did you balance the risk versus reward of playing those shows? The bill collectors didn't stop collecting bills during <laughs> 2020, you know, and my yeah. income was it, that my income was changing. It changed drastically because when I don't play, I don't make money. So that moment where I'm like, well, should I start robbing banks? <laughs> you know, there's a 7-Eleven, you know, but they know me, you know, like even with a mask, they'd know me. No, I'm, I'm kidding. For me, as a, the provider, you know, I'm like, I got to start hustling. What do I got to do? And if a show comes up, then I got to think about, okay, what are, how can I uh, safeguard this as much as I can? So go out, mask up, you know, I stay distant. If I don't have to be in a group of people, I'm not, you know, so I, I quarantined in a hotel room or, you know, just stay kind of distant from, you know, like, like when you're at the venue, you know, I just kind of stay in my own space. Getting through the, the airports is, uh, you know, like the hand sand and washing your hands. And, and, and I didn't get, you know, I did all the stuff and I didn't get sick. You know, the thing is, uh, people did still have to work. Some people forgot that, <laughs> that that's reality for a lot of people. They can't just stop working. It got a little scary. You know, I, I got to admit, it's you start thinking about why I do this. What can I do uh, in the meantime? You know, is it how long is this going to last? What? How am I going to switch gears or segue into something else? You know, what? how can I still be musical and uh, make money? Because... You know, for us, you know, our skills aren't as transferable into the real world as, uh, you know, some life coaches would like to think. But thank God, you know, we, we hung on. And a lot of bands, you know, have to hang it up. Venues had to hang it up because there was just, it, it wasn't sustainable. So, uh but yeah, thank God that we were we were able to hang on for this amount of time. We got a new record deal. We we stayed busy. We started writing early in in 2020. We got creative. I have noticed that people who did that, who just got to work and figured out a way to make it as uh, make it as valuable of a time as possible, are the ones who I know are coming out on the other side right now in a better situation. I think, you know, if you stay in action, instead of complaining, you know, I saw a lot of people like start yeah. complaining. It was a bummer. Yeah. And, and, and there was a lot to complain about. If you get into action, more opportunities present themselves. You know, does that make sense? And that's what happened with us. And that's what happens in a, in a lot of situations, even outside of music. You know, I don't want to get too tree huggery, but the universe, if, 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 you, <laughs> if you put it out there that you need to work and you want to make money or you are after a certain goal and you start taking action 
towards something. It's like being on, on a motorcycle what, you know, or, or, or a car. Whatever you're looking at, you're moving towards. My girlfriend says I have this superpower when it came to me never having any money that it just used to appear. Yeah. And I firmly believe that positive mental attitude towards a situation really goes a long way. But, you know, it's also the physical, like... Yeah, combined with action. Yeah, action, like if you're moving towards something, then... You know, the universe has, here we go, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hugging my tree. Uh, the universe has this way of putting that, you know, things in your path. And then these things, the opportunities happen, and then you start beelining towards those. Or, you know, if that's not what you're after, then you start moving in it. it, it it's kind of like the road sign to move in a different direction. So... Yeah, staying in action, staying positive, and life changes. Learning to adapt as well. Yeah, I mean, that is key. Being flexible with uh, how you're getting to your goal. What Being flexible on what your goal is. You know, I, st- I wanted to stay musical. And, you know, I, I, so I kept doing music. You know, if, if I wanted to make money, you know, I could go down the block and, I don't know, if it, there was... You know, you can get online and start looking at jobs, even though they don't pay the the kind of money that you're used to making. You can start making money. There's some way. Yeah, in some way. But I wanted to stay musical. I mean, it's not like the need for music went away. No. All that happened was people's lifestyles had to change. It actually increased. Yeah, exactly. If anything, I think that there was a, like Brown said, a greater need for music in that time period. And uh, people who jumped on that reaped the rewards, I think. On the topic of action, I think that's really, really important to just harp on. I feel like uh, too many people will say they want something and then just kind of leave it at that. Just yeah, or, or do some, or put a little bit of work towards it for a day or two and then just kind of leave it at that. But what I've noticed that the most important part of the equation is the action because sometimes your mental attitude is going to be shitty. Sometimes it's going to be great. Sometimes it's your head's not going to be in the game. Uh, But as long as you keep taking consistent action, you will get closer to what it is that you're looking for. I think from what I've noticed. Yeah. It's a sweat equity, man. You know, if you're hungry, you can pray for a cheeseburger you know, and, and, and wait for the universe to deliver it. But it's not going to come unless you get out there and start moving towards something, you know? It's it's really interesting, isn't it? Like a lot, you know, we've been talking about how people are reminiscing over the fact that they're missing shows. and But there's plenty more that you can do as a band that is so important than just playing the shows. And the shows will eventually come back. It's just about what are you going to do on that path to get back to that point? Yeah, I, there there was there's a lot of uh, creative stuff that happened online uh, on social yeah. media. Like I, I saw there was you know, a friend of mine, Tommy. He was in Sweden and he was jamming with uh, just like this, the, the three windows and they would slide mm-hmm. in and out and they were doing ACDC songs. And this would get thousands of views. You know, I don't know. If it was, you know, making anybody money, but it was certainly keeping the music alive. A lot of bands were doing some kind of, I don't know, performance in in a living room uh, and charging minimally at the door or at, at your laptop or your phone or whatever, and uh, they were staying alive that way. Uh, you know, we when we would go out and, and and the music, yeah, the need for music didn't go away. We would show up at these like, a, a, you know, these rebel events, like a biker event where they would rent out acres of unincorporated property so cops couldn't get in there and, and say anything about it. They would show up, you know, by the thousands just to see and hear live music. So and when we, we, we when we just went out a, a, a month or two ago, we went to Florida and then South Dakota and these people were absolutely apeshit at the intro music, you know, and then when the band would come on, you you would have thought that they've never seen live music before. Do you feel like the absence of live music is going to 
help the audience appreciate it in a way that they haven't been appreciating it for like a decade or more. Yeah. At least in this country. I know they appreciate it more in some other places, but... They absolutely appreciate it more over in Europe. You say that, but I disagree. Oh, yeah? (laughs) Grass is always greener, isn't it? The reason why I say that is because when we do festivals over there, there's, there's groups at play that haven't had a career here in the States for 20 years. Yes, that is very true. Let's say they haven't had a career here in 20 maybe more uh, years, but they will go out and, and Hellfest, let's say, and 20,000 people will be, you know, scream, you know, like just singing along. And a really good guarantee. Yeah. Considering yeah. there's these metal bands that like are like legacy death metal bands that don't do any touring at all. They'll just play like five festivals, get like, uh, get, a really respectable guarantee considering mid five figures, which they would never get here. Never, never in a million years. And uh, they do like 10 of those and they're good. There's no option like that here. Yeah. Like I have a friend he's in a band that doesn't really play out here in the last five, maybe 10 years. And he, he was like, yeah, we're, we're big in Germany. I'm like, oh, is that right? You know, is that, you know, I'm like, I'm big in Japan, man. And man, damn it. If I, you know, like we were at this festival and they were killing it, you know, like it was, I can't remember. They actually are big in Germany. I guess they still play them. It's, is there German radio? But they're, they're, they're still a thing there. There's actually quite a few bands like that from Germany that I can actually think of off the top of my head right now. Yeah, there's, it's, it's like that in a lot of Europe, actually for a lot of bands like that, like there's, there's bands in any country that are like Italy, for example, there's quite a lot of Italian bands that are massive in Italy and nowhere else. And that's actually enough to sustain a career. There's a Japanese band that I know of that we, we played with them at Soundwave actually a couple of years ago, well, more than a couple of years, about six years ago now. And in Japan, they played like 80,000 cat festivals wow. and then no one was watching them at Soundwave. Wow. Yeah. It was really bizarre. Yeah. It was, and they were a great band. Um, Obviously, won't name names. You know who a really good example of one of those bands is that just by, I think, by a fluke crossed over to the U.S. market is Rammstein. Mm -hmm. Huge. Duhast is a fluke hit. Like, it's not even in English. I don't know how that song did what it did, but... The thing is, these guys were already playing stadiums in Germany. Like, they are fucking gods in Germany, and they have (laughs) had already been gods in Germany for a long time. And then that's just such an unlikely song to penetrate the U.S. market. So weird. Yeah. Oh, I think when it it came out, wasn't, you know, like Nine Inch Skinny Puppy kind of ministry that whole thing was kind of coming to a boil new metal also but still it wasn't even in english <laughs> yeah. well you know like back, way back in the day like 99 loof balloons uh, well and maybe that had an english version but who knows how the stars align for some, some things you know look at crazy bitch <laughs> you know <laughs> another good example is probably psy as well gangnam Oh, right. There there you go. That's a perfect example. There's no way to predict this stuff. No, you know, and there's no, there's no way to quantify, you know, like how it happens and how to do, you know, like, you know, in bands or groups or artists try and duplicate that all the time, you know, for songs they've had or songs that, you know, like, you know, like the business model for, Success, you know, like they try and, and, and try and repeat that and it, it's not doable. So there's a big difference, in my opinion, tell me what you think, between the kind of success that occurs off of those types of hits, you know, the kind that are just not necessarily out of nowhere, but like, you know, the ver- whatever the old version of viral was, you know, those those hits that we're talking about were like when something goes viral now, I think that there's a difference between that and career type success where an artist can just keep going, stay solid, 
slowly but surely build an audience that loves them. Uh, and it might not be, it might not be like an explosion, but it actually is way more sustainable, easier to keep as a long-term thing. And it's much more reliable too, I think. I think they're two different things. Viral and career success are, are two different things. There's this band here, uh, and I think they're, they do well over there. Um, I, I think a good ex- example of that is like a Blackberry Smoke, where they've been around for a long time, but their trajectory is slow and steady. And now they're doing theaters, amphitheaters, and having great success. There's a lot of rock bands that will see one hit on an album and then they're down just playing clubs. You'll, you'll see them, let's say, a, a big spurt. They'll be, you know, close to headliners on festivals and then you won't hear anything from them after that. It's tough to kind of gauge or plan your, uh, you know, your success. With Buck Cherry... We, 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 we came out of the gate, you know, they, they came out of the gate in 98, went away, then came back in 2005, saw a, a bigger success. Now it's been 20 years, you know, so what is success? Well, how do you define it? I think we're successful. It's we've been able to sustain careers, provide for our families. Uh, it, it, maybe it doesn't look like uh, the Rolling Stones, but we've been we've been this island in a sea of heavier music. Well, you know, when the, when the band came out, there was a lot of like corn type bands. When it came back in two thousand five, there was like a lot of pop punk here in the states, anyway. And we were able to uh, be on the radio and s- sustain a career for this whole time. You know, that to me is success. You know, to be able to do this for a living. It maybe it doesn't look like the Rolling Stones or Motley Crue or but what does? You know, just those yeah, guys. Exactly. You know, like those that that's the 1% of the 1% that get to do this for a living. You know, like there's, you know, career, you know, like producers. You know, like a lot of the the mainstream doesn't know who they are, but they're successful. I still think the amount of success you guys have had is uh very unique. That doesn't happen for very many bands and especially doing your own thing the whole time. That's super odd. And it's just been impressive because, you know, I've noticed that you guys have just kept going and going and going and going, regardless of what the trend is in rock or metal or whatever. You guys have always just kind of stuck to your guns. And um, it's weird because in some ways you could see that as risky, but in another way you could see that as like, the smartest move. Smart. Yeah. Yeah. Because your audience knows who you are and why they why they love you. And it is what it is. I mean, yeah, it's pretty divided. I, I would say when you do something like that, a, a lot goes on in your in your mind. You know, like do we add a little bit of this kind of sound to kind of maybe bring in a new listener, you know? And that ends up being a mistake. You know what I mean? Like chasing any, you know, the people will always tell you, you know, chasing any kind of sound is never good. And when we've done something like that, you, you, you kind of lose your core audience, you know, even with, uh, songs like sorry, you know, when you do a slower song and, and people, your core audience is, you know, they're straight up rockers. And if it crosses over, you know, I mean, not that we didn't write, you know, that song to chase anything, but it was different uh, than what uh, the 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 core audience uh, loved you for. So when soccer moms start coming to the shows and <laughs> and 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 all that, then the the. the the audience is like, I found them first and I, you know, like, I love these guys. And now it's a bunch of soccer moms at the shows. Then you, then you start losing that core audience. So we, we had to, I remember when it crossed over, it went into, it went to number six on pop radio and, and kids bop, uh, did the song. And, uh, you know, we, we had to spend a, a couple years after that kind of reestablishing that core audience. 
So do you consider it a blessing or a curse? It's a blessing. And, you know, initially I would be, you know, I would be in a hotel and be playing in, in, a, in the lobby, you know, like what the, you know, or in the elevator. My mom would be calling and it's like, it's on at Chili's, you know, it's on an office max. <laughs> Anytime your music's out there, that's a blessing. I don't know. I guess it's perspective. It, it could be considered a curse if if you're losing losing fans. But uh, you know, you're never going to make everyone happy. You know, you got you got to stay you got to stay true to you, right? It, it's really bizarre to me when um, people get upset by a change in direction when it's your core audience, because you know, over the course of time, we change as people, and you're never going to write the same thing twice as much as you want to try. It's always going to come out different. So I never really understood that mindset of people getting upset when the sound would ever so slightly change into something else. Cause we develop as people, it's like, we like different things from 10 years ago. Um, and it's weird that audiences of bands when it's like, especially when it's their favorite band and they're so into this record cause it helped them through this period of time in their life or something else that they, they never see that part of it when a band changes sound, it's, sometimes it's not that they're changing sound to go in a particular direction. It's just a natural course of events over someone's life that writes music. Yeah, it's the natural the, the natural progression. You know, I think for groups like ACDC, they, you know, they uh, consciously or sub you know subconscious or unconsciously um, just do the same thing because it works. And I think as songwriters. You, um, and, and me as a player, uh, you know, you, you, you kind of constantly, at least I'm constant, constantly striving to learn more or just be a better writer. And, and it's gonna sound different, you know what I mean? Unless you're writing the same song, but it's, uh, you can have the same sound, you know what I mean? It can be consistent with your whole body of work, but it's always going to sound different. I mean, I also think that those fans who think that they want the same thing, those are the same fans that when a band like Metallica puts out a record that's in the style of their old stuff, fucking hate it. They, want, they say they want a band to just go do what they used to do. Then the band puts that out and they're not into it because the band's not in the same place that they were. I think a lot of these people that we're, we're talking about, you know, that like get dramatic about any kind of little style change from their favorite artist, they're 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 into drama. They're and they're probably <laughs> in their early teens. You know, I, I hate to, you know, like I I, I don't want to talk ill about any kind of music outlet because we we all need them because they help promote everything, but there's. You know, when you see this big controversy like, you know, Corey Taylor sucks and, and Rage Against Mr. Sheen sucks and, 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 and all these, it's it's 12-year-old dudes. There's four of them. My manager, he's like, you know, it's like, yeah, it's a blabbermouth four. It, it's, you know, <laughs> um, true fans kind of get into it they listen to it and they they kind of you know see what the you know like just like kind of any adult listener and find the good in that music or they don't like it but whatever i know when they're when artists put out something new that i'm not a fan of that doesn't take away all the other stuff they've done that i love right well i'm wearing this hoodie right now and i haven't liked the last two records but I love everything beforehand. I'm not going to say the band, but I'm just going to say. <laughs> yeah, same here. Yeah. Right. You know, I don't love Zeppelin presence, but they're still amazing. You know what I mean? I, and, I, and, and, I, and I listen to the, all the other stuff. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about actually what goes into evolving as a musician. Like, so when it comes to guitar, do you actually work on different things? Do you practice new things or is it more in terms of songwriting where you see the evolution? I can't shred like John, you know, <laughs> are you talking about me? Yeah. I can't shred. I'm awful. <laughs> 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 you're 
you're not you're not awful. Yeah, I'm still into guitar like I was when I was a teenager. I haven't really taken the path that um, a lot of you know. It's funny. YouTube is so vast, and um, I remember for the last few years. All I'd be seeing, I can't remember. There's a guy from England, Rick. Rick Graham. Rick Graham. Dude, it's like, it's Are you fucking kidding me? It's just like, my God, you know, like, and it is just like, and and, and it's effortless. And I, and and he does have soul, you know what I mean? Like a lot of guys say, you know, like those guys that play that fast are soulless. But even Ingve, you know, like you can play that fast. But sounding—he's got a—he's got a swagger that's unique to him, and and guys that play can can play that fast don't sound like him. Anyway, I I still, you know, back to the point. I still love guitar like I I, I used to as a kid, and and it it does it is about songwriting, uh, when I'm. Uh, making an album or, or or demo, you know, writing for an album or recording an album. But when I'm out uh, touring uh, or like uh, parts of 2020, I, 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 I start going down the rabbit hole of learning new stuff. And lately it's been I was producing this rockabilly kid and it was all about Travis picking and uh, Chet Atkins Merle Travis, uh, Tommy Emanuel, and uh, Brian Setzer, you know, and and the, of all the Rick Grams and all those shredders, you know, I found a whole world that um, just blew me away that I was not aware of, you know. But I was so, I, you know, for the last uh, I don't know six months or so, I've just been into that and and getting carpal tunnels, you know, just trying to, you know, just trying to, you know, learn that stuff. It's, it's not easy. And then there's, you know, then, then that was this, the gateway drug to, you know, guys like Joe Pass and, you know, I'm just a rocker, you know, I'm not, you know, it was, it's been ACDC and Jimmy Page and Jimi Hendrix, you know, into the blues guys, the blues legends, for years and years and years. So for me as an old, an old guy now finding all this other stuff besides shredding, it's, it, you know, I've now, I've now I forgot the point because I'm so, I get, I get into that state where I'm so blown away and I want to learn that stuff. Uh, I, I, I kind of lose track of everything else around me. <laughs> well, I think it's kind of like, uh, same as, uh, your band kind of, your band's always done its own thing. sounds like as a guitar player, also you haven't chased trends and have just kind of done your own thing as well, which is really cool. Yeah. You know, guys like Angus, you know, still blow me away when I, when I, when I hear them. And I still, that's when, you know, when I pick up a guitar, that's what I hear, you know, that's what I hear. And then just kind of playing along with two, when I hear a rhythm track, that's just what, that's what's underneath my hands, you know? So to try and emulate this other stuff is, and learn what's behind it is, is, uh, it's fun, you know? I just want to say how refreshing it is for, to hear someone talk about how they'll see all these ridiculous players and not try and compare themselves to them. Like a lot of people will see someone that's fucking incredible and then try and compare and then try and emulate as opposed to just saying that's fucking amazing i want to learn how to do that and then yeah just carry on with doing my own thing and see it for what it is which is someone that's spent fucking years of their life aiming yeah. towards that point um and yeah every single time i watch rick graham yeah it's absolutely outrageous but then this- it's un- un- unbelievable <laughs> <laughs> that guy you know i just like and like, like he sometimes he even you know he talks about how you know, like how it's not clean, or he makes mistakes, and I'm like, are you, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, like, oh, it's 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 uh, it's it's I, you know, I love watching it, you know, like, and I think players that do kind of like talk bad about player, it, it's it's a you know that we're all competitive, you know, like I think a lot of us in in music. 
drummers are a different breed. You know, they they all seem to get along and 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 encourage each other. But guitar players, I think, are uh, super competitive, and when they see other guys doing great things, it it uh, their their first reaction. You can tell. I don't know. Here I go. You can tell, like where where uh, where a guy's at in in his career or in in his emotional growth, you know, by how he talks about other players. Like, yeah, hats off. If I see a guy that's killing it, props. And it inspires you, which is good. Like, we shouldn't compare ourselves to other people. We should just like learn from it in a positive way. For sure. It's dangerous to compare ourselves to other people. I mean, there's a level of objective comparison when, you know, if you have a band, you got a record mixed by somebody, you want to be able to objectively compare it to other stuff coming out around the same time, just to make sure that the quality level is sufficient. Not that it copied another mix, uh, sonically but just that the bar that your bar is where it needs to be i think that that kind of stuff like am i tight enough as a guitar player uh do i keep time well like there's certain things that are good to compare but when it comes to the artistic kind of stuff or the overall specialization or the art side of it i think it's super dangerous to start comparing yeah you know, when you really render it down, like, how do you really do that? That's why it's dangerous, because it's impossible. Yeah. And there's also different factors. You know, Rick Graham can... <laughs> he's probably going to watch this and be like, oh, you know, like, I'm, I'm glad I'm such a, a huge topic. <laughs> Let, let's let's say Richie Kotzen. Amazing. Amazing. Another great player. He, on the other hand... You know, besides devilishly handsome, you know, he's he's a, an amazing player that changed his his playing kind of midstream. Right. Went to finger picking and also an amazing singer, an amazing uh, a musician, instrumentalist. And then a, an, on, on top of that, a, a brilliant songwriter, you know, like, you know, like I know him. And I love him, you know, to his face, but I fucking hate the guy. You know, it's just like, he's got it all, you know what I mean? Rick, Rick Graham, you know, like he won't even, he'll, he'll just keep his, his shots like right here and just like, you know, like, and it's just the solo playing, but I don't, you know, I, I, I'd love to hear, you know, a song from the guy. Maybe that's a challenge. Watch, he'll be like, okay, challenge accepted. And then he's going to write this great heartfelt <laughs> song and, and, and it's going to like, I don't know, change the world. I don't know. But I think also, man, I think with certain players, if, if their thing is playing and not necessarily songwriting, that's cool too. They should just probably work with someone who is a good songwriter. Yeah, I, you know, in this day and age, you can be great in your bedroom <laughs> especially after 2020 you could only be great in your bedroom being great at home can serve you now you know like before i think you could be great at home and and you if you weren't great out in the world then uh, it wouldn't get you anywhere but now it gets you a lot of places you know there's there's guys making careers out of just testing gear or just it's kind of amazing, isn't it? Yeah. And I know that there's a guy in Australia that um, on all accounts might not be a, a huge songwriter, band guy, you know, playing out uh, in the world. But I think he started just testing out pickups for uh, a tele uh, type guitar and then built it. it that into and then he and then you can see the the way his his uh lighting and camera uh quality and sound you know it went from just like the room uh mic on his phone to you know he's got he's got you know amps and it's going into pro tools and he's got a ring light <laughs> you know like and he's testing everyone's sending him gear to try out and his views are like through the roof 
you know, never has to leave the house. It's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you know, like that. Maybe that's what maybe I sh- I should have done during twenty twenty. You know, I don't know, but uh, yeah, good for him. I think it's interesting because these days you can do that first, get super well known, and then develop a touring career. Whereas I think in older days the touring career part had to be happening parallel to any other kind of media for the most part. Yeah. It's the, you know, like 2020 has changed the playing field where before when you release a song, you had to go to radio and that would fuel the tour and that would fuel the radio. And it, 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 and now the business model, our manager was like, you know what? Fuck radio. And we're just, we're going to do a social media blitz. Does that take a lot to like wrap your head around after like more than a decade of thinking, got to go to radio? Yeah. When the, the, you know, the marketing team was talking about it, I was like, oh, that's kind of dang, you know, like we don't, we, we need to do that. And you don't, you know, like if you think about it, everything's social media, like, you know, radio is, you know, like it, it doesn't do much it doesn't turn it it doesn't equate to record sales it doesn't equate to asses in the seats so why why would you spend tens of thousands of dollars in into you know, marketing there so what 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 he did was put uh the budget into um the social media and we immediately within the first week or two saw, let's say we released a song called so hot on this new album. The album's not out and we sell, we, we sell out of our pre pre-orders uh, vinyl. We get 300,000 views on YouTube and over a million views on all social media. And it's just like, that's a win. And now our shows are selling out. And our VIP packages are through the roof. And it's it's like all the, you know, it's like, wow, why didn't we do this two records ago? It's same could be said for almost record labels as well, to a degree. Like, uh, yeah. you know, there's many artists now that use social media completely to fund their entire careers. There's no labels involved. Yeah. The only thing that yeah. they have is a booking agent. A lot of them are self-managed and they're able to do the entire tour, touring circuit to a pretty high level from not having any support from any of those um, old school, let's say old school features. I mean, um, like a record label, you know? Um, so, I mean, how, how do you feel about that? I mean, you guys have just signed a new deal, right? Yeah. Hip hop has been doing that for years. There's guys selling, still selling, you know, like Rocket isn't selling. You know, hip hop is still selling millions of units in pop music, obviously. But let's say the game, you know, who I'm, you know, still not familiar with, but he can sell out uh, three nights at the Hollywood Bowl and sell millions of units without a record label. Now he just pays, you know, a booking agent to put him at the best venues, the biggest venues across the country. And I think, you know, some rock bands are following suit, you know, like and all in and, and the social media, you know, like hip hop was all about the social media without the record label. And that's what we're tapping into now. And my manager says, you know, we're, we're, we're going direct to consumer, you know, just like every other product in, in, in the world. You know, why we didn't do this sooner is crazy, you know. And, and, and why bands aren't doing it now is crazy. So why sign to a label? Back in my day, that was, that. you know, I, I thought, you know, getting a, a record deal was success. You've made it. But, you know, four record deals later and no success, you know, it's just like that it, it was not the case, you know, like, and then you sell a million records, you know, like, I don't know. Let me get back to the point. Why sign with the label? You, you you don't have to. You know what I mean? It, it, I think what, what's good about the the big machine is the, the initial advance 
that you can put into touring, the, the, the advance that you can put into marketing, like to market to radio or to market to social media. But nowadays, nowadays for new bands, they're getting 360 deals. The 360 deal is not only all, all your revenue coming in from shows and and all that, but it's merch now. It's everything. I would say follow the hit the hip hop marketing thing where they're putting their concentration into the social media and turning that into um, getting people into your shows. You know, you can you can like look at Brown Studio there. You know, like you can record. At home. Yeah. You know, I prefer not to, though. Right. <laughs> right. Me too. You know, that in itself is an art form. Mastering is an art form. Mixing is an art form. And having to demo out of at home or make records is is hard. You know, it's especially when you put all your uh, years into pl- just playing guitar, you know, and then writing songs. And then you got to, you know, kind of beat the learning curve on how to use compression, you know, or, or limiters. I don't know, but, uh, I, I guess I lost the point. Um, well, okay. So why did you guys sign to a label this time around? Why not just stay indie? I think financially it makes sense for us to sign a deal that, uh, we don't get a, a lot of money up front, but enough to uh, fund the marketing campaign and uh, get us out there. We tour on our own, so we don't need that help. With getting advanced a small amount, then you can pay that back and then everyone's making money in a fair way. Mm-hmm. So like a reasonable deal that's, that uh, that you're not going to be indebted to for forever basically i think a a lot of newer acts i saw this one kid he got like a four million dollar deal at first you're like wow that's great but then you're like if you know kind of what's behind it i'm like (laughs) he's never gonna make any money he's not gonna get it's like how you know like it you know if he i i don't even know how he would get uh he would have to sell an amount of records that just isn't being sold anymore to start making money, you know, and you'll see if he does get successful, he'll be in renegotiations real soon. $4 million. That sounds terrifying. I think he's early twenties or late teens. And so, you know, like everyone talks about, Oh, the bidding war. And you know, he ended up with 4 million. And it's like, and he, you know, like he's, he's taking private planes now. And I'm like, Oh dude, it's just like, it's, it's just the money you're going to have to, it's all, it's all alone. Yes. You're going to have to pay off that $4 million on your 18%. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Judah. I'm sure that at this point you've seen this a bunch of times too. Because I'm sure that over the course of your career, you've seen a bunch of bands kind of get a deal like that and sometimes get real big real fast and then disappear real fast, get crazy money for like an advance and then feel like they were totally screwed over, just spend money like idiots and then end up with no money six months later. Like I'm sure you've seen all of that happen time after time after time. In, a, in the late 90s, I was signed uh, to Warner Brothers with this band that was, they were, lab, you know, we were label, label darlings, you know, it, there was no end. It seemed like there was no end to the love uh, there at the label. And I remember getting uh, a big advance in the hundreds of thousands, you know, buying a lot of gear and... Uh, clothes and we got this loft and put a recording studio in it and uh, bought a van you know this really tricked out van we and we still went out to um, the band went the band went to England uh, to um, record the album scrapped it it was with a name producer scrapped it and then made the album again in Memphis. At this point, I think it was the 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 tab was at a uh, close to a million, and then uh, Warner Brothers merged with Time, 
And then it, the whole thing was just like, okay, all the baby bands are gone. The album never came out. No one was taking uh, our calls. And the band went away. You know, like the band had sp- was spending close to a million dollars one second and then was nowhere in that same day. And then ended up breaking up a few months later. You know, and that, and I don't think the band would have ever made enough money to repay that unless there was a, a, a big hit, a top 10 hit, you know, and, and the bands went platinum. And even then, it would, would the band break even? I don't know. Man, you hear those stories so much about the late 90s, early 2000s with bands running up six figure, seven figure bills and then just getting shelved and that's it. Goodbye, good night. Yeah. And you don't have rights to it anymore. Yeah. You know, you still own the songs, but like that, all that recorded material, it's not yours. <laughs> it sounds so sad, doesn't it? Like when you say it like that, it's like, well, but it's yeah. true. I know. Of course it's yeah. true. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, those big deals were still going yeah. on in the mid 2000s, up until the mid 2000s. And that's when it kind of stopped, which was when it was, I guess, the introduction of, Spotify and Apple Music and... I also think labels wisened up uh, and, well, they did two things. They started offering smaller deals, which is good and bad. But then also, I didn't hear too much about shelving artists much after that. Like, I think uh, for the most part, labels now aren't signing anything that they're not planning on releasing because they're not trying to just throw money away. Or just throw it in the fireplace <laughs> and put some lighter fluid on it. Yeah, there's no more demo deals. Remember, like, back in uh, the 90s before there were, like, let's get them in the studio and see what they can do. There's none of that anymore. I think the, the hip-hop community have it right. You know, you don't, you, they don't go to the, the big label. Some do, but... And, you know, Buck Cherry, in all fairness, we, uh, we didn't use a, a, a major on 15. It was, it was our manager at the time. He started a label, funded it, uh, himself. We got some money from, uh, Japan. We recorded 15 on our own. And that's, what's good about, uh, the hip hop thing. Now, like you record it on your own and then the money that comes back is yours. But uh, on 15, we did it on 11, seven, and then, then we upstreamed to uh, a bigger machine, Warner, uh, no, Atlantic, because their reach is farther. That's, you know, maybe why you want to go with the big label, because they have a f- much farther reach mm-hmm. uh, than you do. But, you know, marketing teams and, and social media gurus kind of have that now. So you don't need that big label to... Uh, you know, the, the internet is vast, you know, and powerful. So if you get somebody who knows what they're doing, you can be successful without owing thousands or millions of dollars. Now, are your fans the types of fans who still buy physical media? I, I'd say a small percentage of, you know, are. Small percentage? We sold out of the vinyl you know, I don't think in rock, no one is selling the physical copies much anymore. I don't I don't even know, if, you know, Target and Walmart, they're not really selling physical copies of anything, are they? I haven't been in a Target or Walmart in a long time. I don't know. Yeah, I think vinyl is making a resurgence, but it's not like taking over the world where it's becoming the the uh, preferred medium. I think still people still download or, or stream, you know, that's just what, I mean, I'm guilty of it too. You know, like it's just convenient and I just stream. So there's a small percentage that still does. We've, we're selling vinyl right now. We sold out of our first run. So, so I think that that's a good, that could be a good reason to be signed to a label is if you do have a crowd that to some percentage likes physical stuff, then it maybe is a good idea to sign with someone who can uh, distribute that stuff, help get that out there. Look, then you can go to companies like Red, you know, get it manufactured and put it out there. But the thing is, you need to promote it. People won't get it if they don't know it's there. I think it's smart, man, to take all that radio money and put it into social media. 
Very, very smart. Well, it's working for us right now. And and the and radio stations are calling in to play still play the the music like hey like service service this or this station so we can play it you know here in california there's klos and uh they're playing it you know handfuls of of people are are playing the song even though that we didn't service radio so it's almost like radio didn't get just thrown away you're just focusing on something else and radio's coming along anyways radio is following suit so do you think that uh, radio following suit even matters? I mean, it's cool. You know, I got friends like, dude, you know, like so hot. I'm listening to so hot right now. It's cool. But I think in the big picture, it's it's not doing any doing anything, you know, like the fact that it's getting millions of um, views on online. That's what matters. You know, that's that's what's um fueling everything else. And, you know, when somebody goes to your YouTube channel or or your Facebook page or your Instagram page and, and watches that, they just, they stay there for a minute. It's not like uh, radio where they're going there and listening and then a new band comes on. They're going to your, your page and they're staying there for five, 10 minutes or more. So, you know, the, the one view is going to lead to viewing another single and they're, they're, they're pulling up another single. So all these videos or, you know, all these videos are, are, are increasing their views. Yeah, I think that that's one of the best things about streaming media is that the audience gets to decide what they want to consume. They can go down rabbit holes, whereas traditional radio or television is just... You got to listen to or watch this at this time. And if you don't show up at this time, you're going to miss part of it. There goes your chance. Sorry. Snooze, you lose. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, you're, you're at the mercy of their programming. You know, like, you know, like Netflix, another example. You know, like I'll, I'll stay there and just go down the documentary rabbit hole, you know, whatever they have. Or yep. <laughs> Uh, it's I a dark know. place. Even like Peaky Blinders, you know. I, I've gone back twice, you know. Because <laughs> you can just sit there and just like, oh, yeah, check out, you know. And it just keeps, you know, like to watch, you know, like at the end of an episode, it's like watch the next episode comes up in three, two, one. And you're just in the next one like, oh, yeah, you know. <laughs> That's what I mean. <laughs> By order the Peaky Blinders, yes. Give me more. <laughs> you know. It is dark. I've sat there and watched an entire series in one day, multiple times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I know, dude. It's I, I you know, like I started doing that um on the bus. It's just a way of you know, I'm an ex-drug addict, an alcoholic, uh, and and that's my way of checking out now. I think that's a better way of checking out music and 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 Netflix. My family will tell you so. <laughs> I'll take their word for it. Well, Stevie D, I think this is a good place to uh, stop the podcast. But uh, I want to thank you for hanging out with us. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and uh, good luck with the new record. Thank you, sir. And he's refreshing to talk to. Yeah, very very positive mental attitude from uh, from. Steve, it's like, it's refreshing. You know, what's interesting is given his band's music and what he does on guitar, uh, lots of times I meet guys that are in, you know, non-techie worlds of music and they have very negative attitudes towards people who can play really well. I'm not saying Stevie can't play really well, but they have like a real negative attitude towards shredders or towards, you know, virtuosos. And uh, I think it's super refreshing to hear somebody who, you know, he plays and he plays rock and roll, basically, you know, like just good old rock and roll uh, that doesn't do odd meters and sweeps and crazy shit. But he has all the respect in the world for people who can. And uh, I think that's a good place to be. I think it's a really good place to be. I think that guitar players in the genre of music that obviously uh, I'm associated with and the more 
the technical genres, let's say that. Guitar players, because it's so technical, that's the one thing that guitar players are comparing themselves against. When in actuality, it's kind of the wrong focus. Like we've spoken about how gear is the wrong focus and that the focus should be on the playing and the songwriting. And I feel like it's the same way here. It's like, it doesn't matter if someone's better than you. It's like, what can you learn from it? And how can you carve your own niche away from that by taking that as inspiration? Which Stevie does, clearly. He knows who Rick Graham is, completely outside of the style of music that he plays. But just goes to show that you're not defined by your band. No, I, I don't think you are. I mean, how many, I mean, that's like saying that the only thing that I listen to is progressive metal and it's the one thing that I don't really listen to. Yeah, absolutely. And you take influences from so many different places, which I think is why when you go to write progressive metal, you kind of do your own thing because you're not just aping other progressive metal. I mean, we are, uh, we are the amalgamation of what we listen to and what we experience on a, on a day-to-day life is the hippie coming out in me. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, if, you, if all you listen to is progressive metal, then all you're going to give the world is a watered down version of progressive metal. And with taking influence from other places, then it gives you almost an, an inspiration on where you can take your own sound. Like, you know, when you listen to who James Hetfield was influenced by, it doesn't sound anything like Metallica. And you'll find that with all those big bands, their inspirations are often nothing that sounded like them. Obviously, one, because no one sounded like that band before them, but two, the, the only way to draw inspiration so you don't sound like someone else from the same genre is to listen to other types of music, other types of players. And to find what little things you can extract from those genres and players and apply to yourself. Exactly. I mean, there's no point in reinventing the wheel. Take inspiration. No, I mean, you're going to do your own thing regardless, so you don't need to even try to reinvent the wheel. No, and let's be honest, there's only... 12 notes in Western music to choose from. I mean, you're going to end up doing something that someone else has done, but we're picking the same notes that someone else has used, but it's about how you enable those notes to be you. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, one thing though that guitar players can do is raise their technical ability to a point where they are good enough to take in outside influences. Yeah. I think that, that, that is a, 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 the right response to that and not comparing themselves to other guitar players either. That is something that they shouldn't do. They should just take inspiration from what they hear. There's always going to be someone better than you. There's something. Yeah. There's too many people out there who do this. So of course there's always going to be somebody better, but that doesn't mean that they sound like you or they can do what you can do. Exactly. That's the other thing. It's like whatever you're doing right now, even at the infancy of someone playing, it's still going to be played slightly differently than someone else would play it. That's, you know, you're going to, you're going to sweet pick in a different way than someone else does. You're going to hold the pick different. It's always going to be different. Yeah. The best thing you can do is just try to get better. Yeah. And be yourself. Trust your gut. I always say that. Trust your gut. If you think it's good, then go with it. Even if you're wrong. Even if you're wrong, because the only way to get better is to keep doing it and trusting in what and believe in what you're doing. Ultimately, like, you know, yeah. <laughs> unless you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> unless you're wrong. I'm only kidding. <laughs> All right, Brown, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure, Al. I'll see you next week. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to the Rivard Podcast. We'll see you next week. <laughs>